This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Episode 10, Why is California's COVID-19 death rate so low? As of April 7th, 2020, California had 374 COVID-19 fatalities. That's out of a population of 40 million people. New York State, by contrast, with a population of 19 million, has had 5,236 fatalities during the same period. That's 14 times more than California. Again, just to repeat, because the numbers bear repeating, California has had 374 fatalities. New York State has had 5,236 fatalities during the same period, which is 14 times more for New York than for California. How could this happen? How could there be such a wide disparity in death rates between two of our largest states in the Union? In this episode, we will explore the reasons for that, try to come up with some answers, and begin a discussion which will be an ongoing discussion because I don't have all the answers to give you today. Researchers at Stanford Healthcare are working to find out what proportion of Californians have already had COVID-19. They tested 2,500 people in the Bay Area on April 3rd and 4th, 2020, using an antibody test for the COVID-19 illness. The data could help prove that the COVID-19 disease arrived undetected in California much earlier than previously thought. And again, how could this happen? Well, a researcher at Stanford's Hoover Institution believes that the coronavirus has been spreading in California since the fall of 2019, when doctors first reported a very early flu season back in November. During that time, nonstop flights from China into San Francisco, San Francisco International Airport were running at about eight to nine nonstop flights a day from Beijing, Hong Kong, from Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, and even three flights a week from Wuhan, which was the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak. But in late January, all flights between China and the United States were suspended. Now, California has always been, since the 19th century and up to today, the 21st century, California has always been the primary travel destination an immigration destination from China to the United States. But even with the travel ban, travelers from China continued to arrive in California via Canada and Europe, which had no flight bans in early 2020. By contrast, New York, which has always been the primary gateway for travelers from Europe, continued to enjoy regular daily air service between New York and all of Europe, 
And as we all know, during January and February, COVID-19 cases in Italy and Spain throughout Europe uh, were beginning to explode, but there were no travel restrictions placed on travel from Europe. So the first explanation is with the shutdown of travel from China at the end of January, San Francisco as the primary gateway to China stopped the flow of potentially infected passengers. New York, however, as the primary gateway of travel from Europe to the United States, kept the door open to travelers from Europe who were increasingly being infected with the coronavirus. So there is one major difference between the New York approach, the California, the San Francisco approach, and why we have the very large hotspot in New York today versus the very small fatalities that we have in California. Now, throughout this COVID-19 crisis, the Chinese government has changed its tune as regards the date of the COVID-19 outbreak. First, they said it began in early January. Then they revised it back to December of 2019. And now they're saying that it was as early as November 17th, 2019. If that number is correct, and again, um, the Chinese government has been, has changed the numbers and the dates around quite a bit. So we can't rely on their data. But if we assume that the November 17th, 2019 date is an accurate date for the first outbreak in China, California continued to have, San Francisco had nine nonstop flights a day from China through November, December, and for most of January. So if Californians were exposed earlier than the rest of the country to the COVID-19 disease, the coronavirus, they may have built up a group immunity. We won't know if that is the case until the Stanford healthcare results and study are back. But last Friday and Saturday, the study was set up with test sites in San Jose, Los Gatos, and Mountain View. At those test sites, they used an antibody test from Premier Biotech. It's a very simple, simple finger prick test to draw blood to tell if a person has C19 antibodies. The antibody testing, as advocated by Dr. Bricks in the daily briefings, is a very important part of our strategy to defeat COVID-19 and, in fact, could be the, uh, the key to reopening the U.S. economy. The more people who are tested, the more people who prove positive for having COVID-19 antibodies, they would have an immunity, so they might be permitted to go back to work. My sources for this podcast are the MIT Technology Review, the San Jose Mercury News, 
and the San Francisco Chronicle. Now, the Hoover Institution at Stanford, one of the researchers at the Hoover Institution at Stanford, has come forward with a concept, uh, has used the concept of herd immunity, group immunity, as a possible explanation for California having a lower COVID-19 fatality rate. We don't know whether that's the case. We won't know until we have mass testing in California. But according to the MIT Technology Review, they cite three ways to stop the COVID-19 disease for good. And this is what MIT says are the three proven ways to stop this disease for good. Number one, strict social distancing, lockdowns, and aggressive testing. We're doing all of that. However, that those measures alone are not sufficient to stop the virus dead in its tracks because number one, there are now 1 million cases of COVID-19 throughout the world and the virus has spread to 100 countries. So while the social distancing and lockdown policies in the United States and Europe are going to uh, stop transmission, it won't completely kill the virus. Number two, a vaccine against C-19 would be one way, of course, to kill the virus. But researchers tell us that's 12 to 18 months away from being developed. And thirdly, the third way to stop the disease dead in its tracks is when enough people have had COVID-19, eventually there will be a group immunity. And as a result of the group immunity, the coronavirus will fizzle out as the germ finds it harder and harder to find a susceptible host. Both Sweden and Holland have tried this latter approach on a limited basis, and I dealt with the Swedish and the Dutch approaches in my earlier podcast. So herd immunity might kick in when approximately 60% of the population is infected or has immunity through antibodies. Let's just step back for a minute and define our terms here. Group immunity or herd immunity is a scientific concept, an epidemiological concept, whereby if enough animals within the herd, it's also widely used in animal husbandry, if enough animals in the herd are infected with a virus, and in the case of the coronavirus, they think that the magic number is about a 60% infection rate and 60% of the herd having antibodies, that magic number of 60% is sufficient to give protection to the rest of the herd, which has not yet been exposed to the virus. That is the concept. Now, it's a very controversial concept. It was first put out by Prime Minister Boris Johnson a few weeks ago. He toyed with it and uh, he was roundly criticized and the concept was rejected uh, by the uh, 
by the British people um, to the point where the UK health minister has actually had to come out and reject herd immunity and has stated that herd immunity is not UK health policy or a UK health goal. It is simply a scientific concept. But let's just come back to this concept of herd immunity because you're going to be hearing more about this concept in the uh, the weeks and the months ahead as the antibody testing gets rolled out. If you recall back in 2015, we had the Zika virus scare. Zika virus is a mosquito-borne illness which caused birth defects. Uh, it took hold in Florida, New Orleans, Louisiana, the Gulf states. Mosquito-borne caused birth defects. Um, it really took hold in Brazil. By 2017, a Brazilian study showed that 63% of the population in the northeast Brazilian city of Salvador had been exposed to Zika, and the researchers in Brazil speculated that as a result of that large 63% antibody presence in the population, that the population of Salvador had in fact acquired a herd immunity. And as a result of that herd immunity, they broke the outbreak of the Zika virus in northeastern Brazil. So that is cited as a recent example of herd immunity being used as a policy to stem the tide of a potentially lethal virus. Now, of course, you can also get herd immunity through vaccines, but as we discussed, vaccines are 12 to 18 months away. So in the meantime, we're going to have to continue to use our social distancing practices. The coronavirus is entirely new. No one appears to be immune to it. And that's why it's spreading so fast. Again, for herd immunity take, to take hold, more and more people need to be resistant after they have been infected. The coronavirus rate of spread is higher than ordinary flu, but similar to other past influenza pandemics like the Spanish pandemic of 1918. And to end this epidemic, approximately 50% of the population needs to be immune, again, either through a vaccination or through natural infection. And that is according to a Harvard epidemiologist. So the strategy right now is to suppress transmission through social distancing and lockdown. And that means, and it's working, uh, the curve has been flattened here in San Francisco and also in California. So social distancing and social distancing and lockdown policies are working. They're also working in Italy and Spain and the UK and France. Absent an immunity through a vaccine, however, or a high natural infection rate, we're going to have to keep those social distancing measures in place to keep COVID-19 in check. And that will probably be on some limited basis.
again, the Stanford test that I alluded to, which was conducted last weekend, was the first large-scale study of its type in the United States and was coordinated with the Santa Clara Department of Public Health to learn more about the virus's presence in Silicon Valley. And Silicon Valley, of course, is the home to, well, Santa Clara, that is, Santa Clara County, is the home to Silicon Valley's largest companies. So in conclusion, while I may not have answered fully to your satisfaction why we have this big discrepancy in death rates for COVID-19 between California and New York, I've tried to give you some food for thought. Please stay tuned to future podcasts, and I will share with you as much information when I get it, how I get it, as regards why we have this discrepancy. And our hope is that we're going to work those numbers down as we go forward. In conclusion, where are we with COVID-19? Well, to quote Winston Churchill's famous World War II quotation, this is not the end. This is not the beginning of the end, but this is the end of the beginning. On that note, this is Jim Herlihy signing off for the San Francisco experience from America's favorite city, San Francisco.